debating over whether to take two minutes to do this or not. I really don't have the two minutes to do it, but I'm going to do it in two minutes, okay? Um, most of you know that in December, my preaching Bible went missing. And I know this isn't a catastrophe for you, but it was a catastrophe for me. 25 years I preached out of the same Bible, and it just up and disappeared. I, I tore my house apart. I tore the church apart. We tore the, my office apart. Couldn't find my preaching Bible for love nor money. I uh, looked in the car. I mean, we, we did, every three of us went through both of our cars. Maybe it slid up under a seat. Maybe it, you know, got stuck somewhere on the side, or it was nowhere to be found. So all I could do is pray and ask the Lord to bring it back to me. And I even prayed, I said, Lord, if it's in the dump somewhere, I've heard about you bringing people's things back to them, and I don't know how and in what way, but I'm asking you to bring that Bible back to me, even if it's in the garbage dump. Get angels, go get my Bible. Uh, and so that was December. Well, in uh, March, we were getting ready to leave for Chile. We did the Wednesday night service, uh, and we went home. Pastor Mark thought he left his Bible in my car, so he went out to go uh, get his Bible out of my car, and he didn't see it in the back seat, and the Holy Spirit said, look under the seat. So he looked under the seat, and my Bible was under the seat. No, I don't. You're not getting it. <laughs> Three of us went through the car. Looked up under the seats. It wasn't there. One of our staff members, to be a blessing to us, the Sunday morning the Hagans were here. He cleaned our car from top to bottom, under the seats. There, It was not there. Now, how this Bible got there, I have no idea. But glory to God, I got my preaching Bible back. I tell you, I even smelled it to see if it had been in the dump. It didn't stink because I was going to sanitize it if it did because I don't know where it's been, but I don't care because I got my Bible back. I want to say one more thing, and I brought my tissues for this. Um, most of you know I was a missionary before I married Pastor Mark and had intended to live my life overseas, um, you know, ministering for Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the things the Lord put on my heart uh, during that time was, why am I doing this? Sorry. The older I get, the closer my bladder gets to my eyes. I know that's it. <clears throat> oh, man. Anyway, one of the things the Lord put on my heart, uh, separate from Pastor Mark before we ever married or met each other, really, was orphanages. And when Pastor Mark and I were dreaming together, when we were first together, orphanage, uh, orphanages was on his heart, and I didn't know that. So it's the one part of our vision that has not yet come to pass. Um, but I want the Fuller family to know that Dan, Joyce, and I, before Joyce went home, we used to pray together about orphanages and dream about, you know, having them in the nations. And, uh, I'm <clears throat> sorry, that dream is still alive. And the very first orphanage we open is going to be called the Fuller Memorial Children's Home. And we, we knew that years ago because of Joyce. I thought Dan would be there to cut the ribbon. Um, but uh, he'll have to just cheer us on from heaven with Joyce. Um, but I want them to know that. I want, uh, we want to honor them. And we love them. And it was, it was part of the dream in their heart. And therefore, it's something that we still intend to do. I just want you to know that. Okay, move along. We're on to get to grip. Okay, got a grip. Okay, got a lot of things to do today. First of all, I want to talk to you this morning about missions. Uh, it's a subject about which I am absolutely passionate. And I want to say this. A missionary, I want to define missionary for you. 
A missionary is one sent out by God and the local church into an area outside of your home area to minister cross-culturally to a people group different than your own. Got that? All right. That being true, then God gave his son to be a missionary. A missionary is one sent out by God into an area outside of your home area. How many of you know he left heaven? To minister cross-culturally. Dear Lord, after the fall, how many of you know we had a different culture than heaven? Still do, unfortunately. To a people group different than your own. I guess we're not the angels in heaven. But God's only son he gave as a missionary. Jesus was a missionary. Jesus became our substitute when he gave his life on the mission field in order to bring us to salvation. Let's go to John 3, 16. We all know this verse. I'm sure that almost everyone in this, in this room could quote it. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, what if he hadn't been willing to give up his own culture and comfort and come at great sacrifice and personal peril to save us? How many of you know compared to heaven, the earth is a dump at best? There's gates made out of pearls and the whole city is gold and there's no crying, there's no dying. The, you know, I've heard people who went to heaven and come back talk about the, the color and the flowers is so vibrant it takes their breath away. How many of you know compared to that, the best places on earth are a dump? What if he hadn't been willing to give all that up? Do, when he chose to limit himself to a physical human body, he gave up his omniscience. His, he, he, before that, he knew everything. How disconcerting must it have been for him to look through the eyes of an infant who knew nothing. He was omnipresent. Now he was limited to one body, one place at one time. He was all-powerful until he was helpless in that manger. The sacrifices he made to come because God so loved us. Just, it, it blows my mind. And let me ask you a question. If he did that, how can we resist his call to go or send someone in our place? We're saved because a missionary came to us and Robert was tapping into my sermon. And this morning I was like, go dude, you just set me up. Come on now. Oh, the offering sermon. If he did that for us, how can we withhold that benefit and blessing from others who also are lost and dying and going to hell? For God so loved the world. He loved what? The world. Not the land masses. Not the geographical or political divisions upon it. No, it, that's not what he loved so much. That he would sacrifice the life of his one and only son. But it was for the peoples. The people of the world. 
God loves people. No, no, all of them. I was in Bible school and I was praying one afternoon and I had a vision. And standing before me, as far as I could see, in every direction, there was just a mass of people. As far as I could see, in every direction. And the Lord said to me, he said, Rhonda, what do you see? And I said, Lord, it's just a mass of people. So many people. That to me, it's, it's a nameless, faceless, just mass of people. And with great passion in his voice, he said to me, I know every one of them. He said, I love every one of them. I was so touched with his love for all the peoples of the world, each of them specifically known to the heart of God. I just stood there and I wept and I wept and I wept. And it was almost as though I had my, my, my face on his chest. And I know he wasn't here physically, but, but in my prayer, it was, we were that close in that moment. I, I was so touched with his heart and he was touched that I was touched. And it was like I had my head on his chest and I could hear his heart beating. The world. The world. The world. The world, I looked out and people, the world, he knows, he knew every one of them. He loves every one of them. That day, I touched the heart of God for the peoples of the nations of the world, and I was forever changed. Oswald J. Smith said this, when God loved, he loved a world. When he gave his son, he gave his son for a world. When Jesus Christ died, he died for a world. God's vision is a world vision, and that is the vision he wants us to have. If you stood in the parking lot of this church, you wouldn't be able to see very much of the earth, just what was right around us. If you stood on the roof of the building, because you're higher, you can see farther. When you're in an airplane, the height of the aircraft determines how far you can see. According to United Airlines' website, at 10,000 feet, you can see 122 miles. At 40,000 feet, which is where most jet airplanes that go overseas anyway, they fly about 40,000 feet, you can see 244 miles. But how many of you have ever seen those pictures of the Earth from the International Space Station? Or those taken looking back at the earth from the NASA missions or the Hubble telescope or, the, you know, uh, whatever's out there right now. You can see half the earth at the same time. From the North Pole to the South Pole with all of its intervening continents and land masses. And you can see all of that at a, at a glance. But I want you to know that from God's perspective, he looks down and he sees the entire world at a glance. Every continent, every country, and the islands of the sea, every human being, every heart, every life, he can see it all in a glance. 
As of 4.30 yesterday afternoon when I was writing this, there were approximately 8 billion, 31 million, 627,000, 726 people alive on the face of the earth, and the numbers were still clicking as I was writing. I didn't even know we went over 8 billion people. I haven't been paying attention. But listen, he knows them all intimately. He knows not only their names, but their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, their joys, their sorrow, their struggles, their pain. He knows them intimately and loves them dearly. As of 4.30 yesterday afternoon, there was 331,002,651 people alive in the United States. That's about 4% of the world's population. Four. You know what that means? 96% of the people that Jesus died for, that God knows so intimately, that he loves so dearly, they live outside of the United States of America. 96% of the people that God knows intimately loves dearly, died for, and wants to be saved. They're outside of the United States. Some people say, I was going to be funny, but I won't shut up, Rhonda. I had a funny in my head, and I'm not going to do it. So many people say, why should we go overseas to preach the gospel when there are so many not born again right here in our own city, our own state, our own nation? Well, I'm glad you asked. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now listen, Jerusalem was their home city. Judea their region. Samaria the people right outside their border. And then the world beyond. So many people misquote this verse and they misquote it like this. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me first in Jerusalem, then in, in Judea, then in Samaria, and then unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And people misquote that as justification for their argument that we need only focus on the lost right here around us and not be worried about taking the gospel to the nations until all are one here. But how many of you know that is not what that scripture says? Put it back, guys. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both, both in Jerusalem and, and is what? A conjunction. You remember the song? Conjunction, junction. What's your function? It ties two thoughts together, right? Schoolhouse Rock, y'all watched it. I know you did. At least if you're near my age, I know you did. 
But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We're to work both here in Madison, Jerusalem. That's our home place. Madison, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Madison, Jerusalem. Our own home city and across the Tennessee Valley and across North America and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. If a farmer had 20 acres of land to cultivate, but he never ventured out beyond the one acre right around his house because it wasn't yet totally perfect, he would be a terrible farmer and a poor steward of the land that is his to work. If he got so obsessed with pulling every weed as quickly as it came out and cultivating every single little fledgling plant in that one acre, but he failed to work the other 19 acres of land, he is a poor excuse for a farmer. One person can't do all the work by themselves. But if we can't be everywhere, then we need to send others in our place who can work the far reaches of the field with which we've been entrusted so that all the work gets done, both here and there. What is my point? This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls, both here and around the world. There are responsibility. There are responsibility, not just mine. It's your responsibility and your responsibility and yours and yours and yours and yours and yours. It's our responsibility to reach not only the lost here within our grasp around our church building, but around the world. What if the early church fathers had held to the theory that we shouldn't go until all were one here in Jerusalem. I dare say we would all still be in our sins and the gospel would never have gone beyond the city of Jerusalem even to this day. And every person not born in Jerusalem would have lived and died in our sins without a savior, which includes all of us, unless we have a Jew here that's born in Jerusalem. I looked it up yesterday. Today, yesterday, Jerusalem has a population of about 970,000 people in that one city. Of that number, there are approximately 16,300 Christians in Jerusalem after 2,000 years. That's 2% of the population. In Israel as a whole, there are approximately 9 million people, and of those, approximately 180,400 Christians, which is also 2% of the nation's population. If we've been waiting these 2,000 years for all of them to be one before someone would bring the gospel to us, we would have lived and died in our sins without ever knowing, without ever hearing that there was so much as a Savior. If the early church fathers had held to a win Jerusalem first, then move on theory, 
the whole entire world outside of Jerusalem would still be without Christ. Because 2,000 years later, Jerusalem is still not all converted. Israel is still not all converted. If they hadn't been willing to take the gospel beyond Jerusalem and Israel before all of Jerusalem and Israel was reached, we would never have heard and never had the opportunity to be born again. We would still be lost and eventually die in our sins. Do you realize that to them, we are the uttermost parts of the earth? Jerusalem, where this all started, was in the Middle East. When he's talking about taking it to the uttermost parts of the earth, it's us. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that they were willing to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, to our forefathers, so that we could hear, so that we could be saved, so that we don't have to go to hell. It's the only reason we are saved. It's because somebody was willing to go to the uttermost parts of the earth and take the gospel to our forefathers. What drove William Carey to leave England and become a missionary in India before all of England was converted? What would cause Adoniram Judson to leave the United States and become a missionary in Burma before all of the U.S. was saved? What caused David Livingston to leave Scotland and become a missionary in Africa before all of Scotland was born again? What caused Peter, Paul, and the early church fathers to step out of Jerusalem and bring the gospel to the Gentiles, even to our forefathers, before all of Jerusalem was converted? They were following the directions left by Jesus, the head of the church, before he departed this earth. We see those instructions in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts 1, 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Let me just stop right here. He was about to be taken up. This is like the last few minutes that he's alive on the earth. He's about to be received up into heaven in a cloud and ascend out of their sight. As a parent, you know it's true. You say what's most important as the last thing. Sometimes still when my daughter leaves the house, I'm like, you know, look around, mind your circumstances, be aware. Got your cell phone. When you hired a babysitter for your kids, the last thing I said was our numbers on the refrigerator, poison control's numbers on the refrigerator. If you need anything, give us a call. You say last what's most important. Jesus was about to be taken up. He was about to leave them. And he was saying what was most important on his heart. As one of the last things he said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. If you read on one more verse, he was received then up into heaven out of their sight. Another thing Jesus said just before he left. These are the final, his final admonitions to his disciples. 
Matthew 28, 19. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. How many nations? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. He said, go ye. Go ye. Go ye. Ye. Ye is you. That's old English for you. Go you. Go you. Go you. Go you. Go you. Go go you. Go you. This only works in the English language, but two-thirds of God is go. G O Go D Go ye and teach all nations, all nations, go. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Just before he left, that's another thing he said. Here's another one, you ready? Mark 16, 15, again, one of the last things he said on the earth. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and did it. They Preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. It's the only reason that we're born again. It's because somebody in Jerusalem chose to obey this scripture. Why is this important? Why should we care about the peoples of the nations of the world? glad you ask. Number one, because Jesus commanded us to go and tell them. He commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That alone should be enough. Number two, why is this important? Why should we care about the peoples of the world? Number two, 96% of the people that God knows intimately, loves dearly, died for, and wants to be born again are outside of the United States of America. Number three, because we're told to work the entire harvest field at the same time. How displeased would you be as a farmer if you told your employees to cultivate all of your property and they only worked the one acre closest to their home? Number four, because this generation of Christians is responsible to reach this generation of souls. Number five, because there are future events that depend upon it. What are you talking about, Pastor Rhonda? 
I'm glad you asked. Matthew 24, 14. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. James and Patty Akui are missionaries in the South Pacific. We're going to talk about them here in just a minute. They have, not only do they have Bible schools in the islands of the South Pacific, they have a ship that they're taking to little bitty inhabited islands that have been cut off, some of them from civilization. Some of them, the people still wearing loincloths. I mean, they are cut off from civilization. Those are some of the last people to ever hear. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. How many ever just get tired and you're like, Lord, just get us out of here? You want to hurry that up? Go into all the world. Take this gospel to every people group. It has to be preached as a witness. Honey, I need some water. And then the end will come. Sorry. I'm preaching a while. Besides which, allergies do not affect me in Jesus' name. You want to speed up his coming and get us out of here? Then preach the gospel in all the world for a witness unto all nations because then the end shall come. But the return of Christ for his church is not the only future event that depends on us going into all the world. Well, you ought to do it just out of gratitude that somebody brought it to you. That ain't even in my notes, but that's a freebie. Aren't you glad? Somebody cared enough to tell you? Listen, the peoples of the nation of the world have an appointment before the throne of God. Psalms twenty two twenty seven. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. Revelation five eight. <clears throat> Revelation five eight. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made unto us our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation, that is his desire and his plan and what must take place at the end of time and we have a part. Revelation 7, 9, after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, a great multitude that no man could number of all nations, kindreds, 
people in tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with right white robes and palms in their hands and they cried with a loud voice saying salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb and all the angels stood round about the throne and, and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever amen they have an appointment they have an appointment to worship before the lamb in heaven every kindred every tribe every people group we got to get them there we got to help them get there That is his plan and his desire and what must take place at the time of the end. And we have a part. As a church, we're continuing to work the field right around our home with our outreaches, with our personal evangelism. But we're also required to send others to reach the areas that we cannot reach from here. 